Amen. Amen. Great job, Micah and team. Uh, our kids can head back to be with our Transformation Station crew. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open a copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. So that's the first book in the New Testament. And if you're using one of these uh, black Bibles that we provided for you in the rows, it'll be page 807. And let me just say this. If you don't own a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. And if you need a new Bible, maybe we, we have a few free ones over here. So you can take this one. You can take one on our resource table. Uh, but that would, we would love to give you a small Christmas present uh, this morning as you come to worship, all right? So uh, we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew. And I hope you're ready for God's Word. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to, uh, to come together, to sing songs of praise, to pray to God, to submit our request and praise before Him, but also to receive from His Word because we believe that the Bible captures the heart of God and that God has revealed himself to us in the word of God. Uh, so it, it, when we hear the word, man, we should hear with anticipation and with gratitude, ready to receive it and live it out. Well, if you're like me, uh, I, I love this time of the year. There's so much that I love about Christmas. Uh, inevitably, this time of the year causes me not only to reflect on the current blessings that God has placed into uh, my life and the life of our family, but it also causes me to look back on my childhood years, right? So I know everyone has different experiences growing up, whether you grew up in a Christian home or not, but, um, but I, I know Christmas was a big deal in our family. And I can think back, and it was, it was more than just coming together with family. I love that. I still love that. It's one of my favorite parts of Christmas. It was more than the gifts. Everyone loves gifts. Most adults, even if we're being honest, we still love a good gift, right, and giving gifts. Uh, but, but another feature of our home, I don't know how much your home was like this, but it was the decorations, okay? My, my mother, all right, Brenda Turley, that's her name, all right? She'll be here in a few months, probably. You can say, what's up, what up, Brenda? I call her B sometimes, if you want to call her that. Uh, but, but Brenda Turley, man, she, she loved to decorate a house, okay? So, so it was like, you know, it started with one tree, and then, you know, it became two trees, and then the garlands everywhere, you know, and, and uh, lights all over the house. And uh, she loved these, these Santa clauses, okay? Now, you know, they weren't just Santas. They were called old-timey Santas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, some people. Yeah, you know, like, they, they were like kind of these, never mind, but she loved them. Anyway, they were everywhere in our house. And, and uh, then, you know, um, there, were, there were nativity scenes, not just one. You know, we had multiple nativity scenes scattered throughout the house. And all of these, you know, decorations and, and, and pieces of the festivities of Christmas uh, were to, to remind us of the significance of this time of year, that it is a special time of the year. And we even experience this as we kind of go throughout our world, whether you're, you're inside the church or out kind of about in the community. You know, even yesterday, uh, our, our almost six-year-old, Parker will be six in a couple of weeks, uh, she had her first ballet recital. All right, now this was a big moment for me. All right, not for her. I mean, it was big for her, but it was really big for me because she, she got it all painted up, you know what I'm saying? The makeup, the, the, the blush and the lipstick. And I was just like, man, I got to like, I'm not, I don't know if I can come today. This is kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway, she, she had a really good time. And even at the, the ballet recital, there was this, uh, this kind of an interpretive dance, you know, ballet deal. And, uh, and it was to Oh Holy Night, one of the, one of the classic Christmas hymns that speak of the, the worth, the dignity, the, the, the divine nature of 
Christ and him being the one that we should worship. And so what I want to ask you this morning, whether you grew up in a home like I did with all of the decorations going on or, or whether you may be somewhat new to the, to the truths of Christmas, I want to ask you this. In your experience of Christmas, do all of the decorations all of the details, all of the things that we, we tend to really enjoy about Christmas, do we, if even sometimes subtly, allow the, the deep, massive truths of Christmas to simply become, are you ready for this, ornamental, ornamental, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the truths that, that Jesus came, the infinite God took on finite flesh, became man, lived a life on our behalf, that he came to, to, to reveal God's glory, to bring peace, to point us to God, to be our way, our link to God. Did, did these massive truths just kind of become another piece of this month of Christmas celebration or are they the centerpiece? Is, is the, the truths of Chris, Christmas, are they the substance, not a mere decoration in our lives, but are they the substance that fills everything with the most significant meaning for us? And I hope this morning that as you're hearing these songs, as you're seeing these decorations, that, that in all of this, it's pointing us to a deeper appreciation and gratitude for Jesus Christ, who he is and his mission in our world. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, the arrival of Christ and the worship of the nations from Matthew chapter 2. And I want to give us two simple encouragements from this text, but first I want to read it again for us. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 12, Matthew Writes Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I have two simple encouragements for you this morning. The first is simply this. Acknowledge Jesus as the king of all peoples. Now listen, I don't know if this story is familiar to you. If you've heard this a hundred times, the wise men coming, following the star in this kind of mysterious way that God aligned them and gave them insight to, to chase after the star that brought them to Jerusalem. And they ask, where is, where is there going to be a king born to the Jews? And, and, and these uh, people who knew the word of God said, it's going to be Bethlehem. And so they take off the Bethlehem and they see the star appear again. I mean, this is, this is a dramatic story. It's full of drama. Let's not let the familiarity of our experience with this, this story uh, move us away from the, the depth that is here for us. You see, there is an eclectic group of people that make up this, this story. The characters in the story are quite diverse. You have this group of wise men from the East. We're going to talk about them in just a moment. Then you have King Herod. And I'm going to tell you more about him, but he was, he was the ruler over the land of Judea at the time, placed in authority by Rome. And then you have this humble family living in this little humble town called Bethlehem, about seven miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so what, what's going on here is that God brings a group of what we want to call them prophetic visitors, okay, to uh, Bethlehem to visit the newborn king. And verse 1 describes the, the visitors as wise men. Did you catch that? I mean, some of the songs maybe that you sang as a child, I can think back to, to even my days as a senior in high school in chorus, all right, I took that, that was like a, a freebie class, you know. The, 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 the worship leader at our church was the high school chorus teacher. Like, man, I'm going to sign up for that, man. I'm trying to get, just get to college, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna, and, I, and, and I had to sing in the Christmas play, by the way, too. I, not a solo, but I had to sing anyway. Anyway, you didn't need to know that. Uh, but we sang this, this, this song, we, th- never mind, sorry. we Three Kings, right? We, I'm about to sing it. I'm sorry. You didn't need that. Uh, we Three Kings. Now, does the text say they're kings? No. There's no indication that they're kings from the Bible. This was a tradition that came around six or seven centuries later, but the text doesn't tell us that they're kings. And oh, by the way, you remember those nativities that we were talking about? How many of you have a nativity set with the, the three kings or the three wise men? Anybody got one? Raise your hand. Huh? Yeah? Well, well guess what? If, if your nativity scene is that of a, of a stable with Jesus lying in the manger with the shepherds there and the, and the barn animals all around, uh, guess what? They weren't, they weren't there on the night of his birth, right? And verse 1 says, uh, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it says that, that then after some time, they make their way to Bethlehem. And it says now that, that Jesus and his family, they were in a house, and so they come into the house to, to offer their gifts. And so now, am I suggesting that we should all go home and throw our nativity scenes in the trash? Okay, that's not what I'm proposing this morning. But you know what you could do? I mean, if you, you may want to do that. You might want to toss the, the wise men or put them over to the side like they're coming. You could, you could put them down at the end of the table. They're like on their journey, you know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, <laughs> you could use it as an opportunity to say, you know what? Hey, you think it's like this. It's really like that. And oh, by the way, a lot of people think this about Jesus, but it's really like that. All right. So maybe just use it as a conversation piece to get to the gospel. But 
Nevertheless, who were these magi? The, the word magi is referring to wise men, and these wise men studied the stars. They were students of the stars. They were masters of the constellations. They had these, these extensive maps of, of all the constellations, and they believed that through tracking the stars that they could uh, predict the future. And so God, in his sovereignty, in some mysterious way, he uh, uses one star to lead them on this most significant journey. That is who they are. Where are they from? It says they are from the east. Now, again, we can't know conclusively where they were from. Some people think Babylon. Others think Persia. That would be modern-day Iran. But the, the significance here is that we ask the question, who were some of the first people to pay homage, respect to Jesus? And the answer is they were foreigners. They were people who were not part of Israel, who was expecting the Messiah, and yet they are the first people that Matthew tells about after the birth of Christ, and we should not see that as insignificant here this morning. And so they have one speaking part in the story, verse 2, and there they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, once again, there have been, through the ages, many attempts to explain this star. Was it, was it the, the, the alignment of the planets? Was it an explosion of a supernova? Perhaps it was a comet that appeared and led them on their way. Now, at some fundamental level, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, who cares? Who, who really cares about? See, see, here's a temptation when we come to the Bible and when we think about these kind of theological details. As our Advent reading said this week, we have a mentality for the marginal. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like, kind of like the decorations. We, we, we focus on these little minute details about the star and the timing and this and that. And it's like, well, all of a sudden we miss, we miss the king, we miss the, the most important truths of Christmas because we're so caught up in all the minute details that really bear little to no eternal significance. And so the wise men help us to focus on what is most important because it says they came to worship, to, to pay homage to Jesus. And so what does this story teach us this morning? Okay, again, this is not just a cute little story for us to consider. We, we must not turn the Christmas story into a story that we tell our children about shepherds and, 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 and wise men and, and, and animals that are, that are there and miss the, the deep, deep meaning that the infinite Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became flesh, stepped into time and space. He who was eternal which we can't even wrap our minds around that. He, he takes on our nature. He is born into our world. That means he is going to, to die one day. And this is what is so crucial about Christmas. So this, this Christmas narrative here teaches us that Jesus is the promised king who reigns over his people. 
Did you notice in, even the wise men had this? They said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Okay, so it wasn't, don't miss this. It wasn't that Jesus was going to become king one day. Jesus was king at birth. He was the newborn king of the Jews. This tiny baby, seven, eight, nine power. He was the king, the king of all the Jews. Jesus was the Christ, okay? We talked about his earthly name last week, Jesus. It means God saves. And he was named this because he would be the one who would save us from our sin. Now, is, is Christ Jesus' last name? No. It's just the title that was given to him because he was the promised Messiah, the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. And who was anointed in the Old Testament? Prophets, priests, and kings. And Jesus is all of these things for us. He's the prophet. He's the word of God. He's the revelation of God. He's the priest. He's our mediator. He's our access to God. He is the king. He is the one who rules over all things. And so the Christ was born. The, the wise men come to him. And, and we see again that that Matthew is very concerned. He's writing again to a primarily Jewish audience and he wants them to see how that the scriptures continue to be fulfilled. The Old Testament scriptures continue to be fulfilled in this one person, Jesus Christ. And so he's gonna talk about the prophet, of, the prophet Micah, chapter five. Uh, what we see here in, 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 in chapter two of Matthew, verse six, is, is, is a quotation of Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Now, let's just think about this and break this down for just a moment, okay? Number one, the Christ was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. And this tells us some really important truths about the nature of who Jesus is and what his, his kingship would look like, okay? The fact that the king was from Bethlehem, okay, here, here, here's a little newsflash, okay? Bethlehem was not Boston, all right? Bethlehem was this tiny little town outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Bethlehem was more like the town of Gosnold. Anybody know the town of Gosnold? Anybody raise your hand? That's what I thought, see? Hey, Gosnold is the smallest town in Massachusetts, 75 people. In fact, I tried to go I Google map this morning and I got a I got a pin dropped out in the Atlantic Ocean. I have no clue where Gosnold is. All right, I'm just telling you, I read it. It was, it was the state government website, all right? This wasn't like, you know, some kind of trick. All right, so check it out. But anyway, uh, so 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 this is kind of this is kind of Bethlehem. It was just a speck on the, the national map of Israel in that day. And this tells us something about how Jesus would rule. He's going to rule with humility. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He doesn't, he doesn't rule like a tyrant that's coming to command and dictate, and, but he is ruling as one who, it goes on to say, is like a shepherd. So the kingship of Christ, it wouldn't add up today to our celebrities and stars and, 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 and leaders who were simply seeking power, but the rule of Christ is 
a humble rule. It's a humble reign. He is trying to care for people, to, to point them to the, the way that God wants us to live our lives for him. And so as we, as we look at Micah 5, 4, in the first part of verse 5, listen, listen to what it says. And he shall stand. This is a description, a prophecy of Jesus. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So a few observations about the nature of Christ's shepherd reign. Number one, he shepherds through the strength of his reign. The prophecy says that he will, he will come, he will stand, he will shepherd and exercise his care, his leadership for people in the strength of the Lord. So if, if, if you ever feel weak, if you ever have need in your life, man, I'm telling you, we need the strength of God. And, and Jesus had it in its fullest form. And so Jesus, being the Son of God, fully God, he, he was empowered to lead in exactly the way that God would want his Messiah to lead. And so I, I love this about Jesus, that he is strong. He, he has the power to accomplish all of his purposes. But not only that, he shepherds through his impeccable character. Look, look, think about again that Micah, it says that he will stand and shepherd, not only in the strength of the Lord, but also in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So I believe we could paraphrase this uh, by saying that Jesus as king will lead his people in the greatness and dignity of the character of God. This is the name of God. It's, it, it reveals who he is, his character. And this is how Jesus is going to reign among us with the very character, the nature, the majesty of the name of the Lord. And then number three, he shepherds through establishing lasting peace. Okay, so this is, this is not just like for a little while. This is in temporal, okay? This is going to last forever. And I, I, I know that, man, even the Christmas season can be kind of a catalyst, a mechanism for us realizing that, man, there are a lot of people, including us, who need peace in our life. There is so much brokenness around us. There is so much going on that is evil in our world. And so we need, a, we need a shepherd ruler who can bring the peace of God to us. So this is, I want you to think about this again. We talked about it a little bit last week. In, in two kind of scopes or lens, lenses, we, we want to think about physical peace. So the rain that Christ will bring there will be no more conflict, no more war, no more nuclear threats, no more missiles that we have to worry about uh, that we're, they're going to take lives away. There'll be no more disease, no more sorrow in the kingdom of Christ that he will establish when he comes again. But it's not only the physical peace that he will bring, okay, it is also the spiritual peace, 
So we have unrest in our souls because we replace the worship of the true God with the worship of all of these other pursuits in life, whether it's your job, whether it's prestige, whether it's a little more money, whether it's relationship, whether it's power, whether it's whatever the case that may be, whatever you're chasing after, an image, you know, trying to, trying to look good before others, whatever it is that we're, we're seeking after, comfort, God says, you know what? In my kingdom, all of your idols will be replaced with the worship of the one true God. That is what is even greater about the peace that Christ will bring to his people in his kingdom. So when the angels revealed themselves to the, to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, they had this beautiful statement when they said, glory to God in the highest, Right? That's where we get in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this beautiful truth, this beautiful peace of Christmas is for everyone with whom God is pleased. And God is pleased with everyone who is looking to the king and living their life under his gracious shepherd rule. So even as we think about these beautiful truths of Christmas, I want to ask you, are you surrendering, submitting your life to the shepherd rule of Christ? Do you see that he has come to give you a new life, a better life that will bring wholeness from within and lead to thriving, flourishing life, both in this life and for sure in the life to come? So this is the good news of Christmas. But as we see in this story, not everyone was really excited about the arrival of the king. What does verse 3 say? Check this out. When Herod the king heard this, he was what? He was what? What? Troubled. There you go. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was Herod troubled, well, he was the king. And even though he was at the end of his life, any threat to his throne made him not just nervous, but violent. Historians will tell us that Herod, one, one Jewish scholar described him as a madman who murdered his own family and a great many rabbis. Another one said he was prepared to commit any crime in order to gratify his unbounded ambition. So he was on a quest for glory, and that glory was his own. He, he was called Herod the Great because he led all these building projects, including the renovation of the second temple, is why it's called Herod's Temple, okay? And so he was, he was after notoriety and fame. He was seeking his own glory. He wasn't about the glory of this newborn king. So that's why he's even scheming. And John will tell us more about this next week as we finish up this this narrative in Matthew that he was devising to take out Jesus. That's why he said, hey, let me know where he is so I can come and worship him. Wink, wink. Got it? So not everyone was excited about the coming of Christ, but it is my encouragement to us, 100% of us in this room, if you hear my voice, this is my prayer for you, is that we would all worship Christ as the king of all peoples. 
Now, as we think about the, the Magi and, and as we see them coming into Jerusalem and, and, uh, and what it says here about they came into the house and they saw the child, verse 11, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now, now we know that, that these, these wise men, they didn't have the full story, perhaps. They didn't necessarily know everything about the, the Christ child, that he was the son of God, that he would be the savior of the world. But at minimum, we know that they came to pay homage to him. Even if they weren't worshiping him as God, saying, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life, uh, they were at least recognizing the custom of their day that when a king was born, uh, emissaries from other lands would come and, and give gifts to this king, and they would bow in, his, in their presence as, as one who is superior to them. And so Matthew, understanding the significance of who Jesus is, inserts the word worship for us because this is the response that Jesus is after. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to give our lives to him. And so again, I think it's no coincidence all right, these, these were not just guys writing these gospels that didn't have a brain, okay? They were, they were thoughtful. They were articulate. They, they told the story in a particular kind of way. So I think the fact that Matthew tells a story of worship after Jesus is born, he's trying to say, hey, look, he is the one to whom we should worship. He is God. Only God receives worship. And so from the very beginning of his life, Jesus is, is receiving worship from other people. John Stott says this, nobody can call himself a Christian who does not worship Jesus. To worship him if he is not God is idolatry. To withhold worship from him if he is, is apostasy. So it is our responsibility as we see Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, our only response can be to worship him. Now, if that's the proper response, what should that worship look like? And I think we see a few principles from this story, okay? Number one, worship should be characterized by joy, all right? Verse 10, I love verse 10. It says, as they saw the star and they're making their way to Bethlehem, what does it say? It says that they rejoiced, not just a little, exceedingly, with not just a little joy, but great joy. Joy characterized their pursuit of this newborn king, and joy should be this deep delight of the soul as we recognize who God is, that God fills us up with this deep delight within us. So again, I understand, man, Christmas can be a busy time of the year, okay? I know some of you, man, you've got a list of things to do. The house is not clean. You haven't got all your presents yet. You're about to travel. Go see this family member with that. And just the rat race of Christmas can, can rob us of the joy that God wants us to have daily. And yet this is why Jesus came. Again, a prophecy from the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So we, in our worship, we should have joy. Number two, we should also have respect. It says that, that they fell down when they saw the child and they worshiped him. 
They recognized his greatness. They were in awe of of who he was as the newborn king. And so we don't only come with joy and excitement, but we also come with a sense of respect, and you can call it reverence before God. And then finally, and I love this, there should not only be joy, there should not only be respect, there should also be an element of sacrifice. Verse 11 says that they went into the house and they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts. And these were not uh, insignificant gifts, they were costly gifts. Gold, a precious and costly metal, as you know. Frankincense was an odorous gum found in the bark of certain trees. It was precious, it was rare. Um, myrrh comes from a tree found in Arabia that produces a highly valued spice and perfume. And so again, these are prophetic visitors. They are pointing us to what the worship of the Christ should look like. And they took what belonged to them and they laid it down before Jesus. And it's a picture of worship. In worship, we take what belongs to us. And and yes, sometimes, you know, we, we collect an offering each Sunday and we're trying to give that to the mission of God. So sometimes it's about our finances, but it's about much more than finances. It's about much more than our material possessions. It's about our time. It's about our skills and gifts, what we're good at. We lay that down before God. It's about our attention, our love, our affection. We're trying to give all of that, all of who we are to God because he is the one who is ultimately worthy of everything that we have. Amen, Pastor Tanner. Thank you. So so do do you get the nature of a gift? A gift is given, and it's not given just to to meet a need, right? I mean, because Jesus being, I mean, yes, his family had some physical needs, but as we think about giving something to God and worship, God has no needs. He doesn't even need us to worship him because he is eternally glorious in and of himself, so God has no needs. He's, 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 self, uh, uh, he's independent. He's self-sufficient. He, 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 he doesn't need us to come and worship him. So, so what is it about our worship then? It's not, it's not just in what we give him, but it's in, what is, it's in what is behind the gift, which is hopefully our love, our devotion, our adoration of who God is. We gave our children gifts yesterday because we're gonna go on vacation next week. And so we went ahead and gave them gifts for Christmas. And you know what? It's not about a little Hello Kitty airplane. You know what I'm saying? I have three girls, all right? Welcome to my world. It's pink everywhere, man. It's like, it's not about that little airplane. It's about the fact that I love them. And this is how God wants us to come to him. And he's not interested in our duty. He wants us to be fueled with delight and love for him as our true God. And so there should be no indifference when we come to Christ and worship him this Christmas season. And I love how Matthew, again, is writing his gospel. He, he mentions the word worship 10 times in his gospel. And the last two times show up in Matthew 28. Starting in verse 16, it says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all 
nations. Are you tracking with the story? Are you tracking with Matthew's uh, narrative flow? He's saying Jesus is receiving worship from some foreigners here. To say in chapter two, the gospel is not just for the people that you think it is for. And then after Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected from the dead, he tells his disciples who are worshiping him, you go and you take the gospel to all nations. So it doesn't matter what your background is here this morning. The gospel is for you and the gospel is for all people because Jesus is the king of all people. So our job as we think about responding in worship is, is twofold, okay? And here is, this is the point, okay? And this is the, the twofold Christmas challenge, if you will. Give King Jesus your unrestrained worship and tell the world of his coming. It's as simple as that. We can't read the story of these wise men that we think are in uh, the, 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 near, the nativity scene when they're really even not, and, and, but not conclude that God wants our worship and God wants us to spread this message of his rightful worship to the ends of the earth. So the twofold challenge here today is simply this, okay? It's December 14th. If my math is correct, we got 11 days of Christmas. How about this? Daily worship. Just daily worship. We, we're not hearing Christmas songs. It's going in one ear and out the other. I mean, we're thinking about, oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the king, the anointed one, the Messiah, the prophesied one who fulfills all of God's promises to us. We're, we're worshiping that God. And, and, and then we're also, how about this? Tell one person, one person the true meaning of Christmas. Could we all do that? Can we, can we uh, it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a coworker. Hey, what does Christmas mean to you? It's as simple as this. Hey, what does Christmas mean to you? What do you love about Christmas? You know, maybe they might ask you that question back. Usually when you ask someone a question and kind of get in a conversation, they'll kind of toss it back at you. And that's gonna open up a, man, I love my family, you know, I love those cookies that my wife makes, but you know, the most important thing, you can be more smooth than that even, all right? But, but you get the point, right? There are ways to get into this gospel story to tell people the greatest news that the world has ever known. So let's, as a church, as a people, daily worship Christ the King, and let's tell people of how great he is. Let's pray together. Father, I'm just gonna confess on behalf of every person in this room that we don't have it in us to worship you daily. We don't have it in us to tell even one person about your story and who Christ is. And so we need your grace to strengthen us day by day to worship you, to love you, to set you above everything in our lives and to tell others about how good and great and glorious you are. So Father, would you during this time of the year infuse us with, with so much hope and joy and peace. And out of that, Lord, would you move us to live lives that are distinctly given to you in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.